Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. It's October 30th, and we're so close to the finish line. The election we started with looks almost nothing like the election we got. So with just four days to go, we wanted to do something a little different this morning. Maybe you've heard this election will be decided by suburban women or Latino voters in Florida, or that the pandemic changed everything. Or was it the Black Lives Matter protests? Consider what you're about to hear, not just a reality check, but a way to think about the election result we are all about to witness. With me are three people who have the answers. We've got our very own Margaret Taleb, Axios's White House and politics editor. Hi, Margaret. Hey, Nyla. Thanks for letting me be part of this. Chris Jackson is the senior vice president of Ipsos Polling. Thank you for joining us, Chris. It's great to be with you. And Mark Hugo Lopez is director of global migration and demography research at Pew. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Chris, I wanted to start with you and ask you how much of a difference you think the pandemic has made in who people are voting for. Well, I think the pandemic is very clearly the top issue for voters, and it has very much changed the trajectory of this election. At the start of the year, Donald Trump looked like the favorite to win a re-election campaign. The economy was doing well. Aside from, you know, the occasional scandal like being impeached, his approval rating had been remarkably stable. So he was in a good position to win re-election. And I think what we've seen happen is the Democratic base was already very fired up. But there was a lot of people who were not necessarily in the Democratic base who were sort of in that sort of, eh, I don't know if it's a big deal kind of camp, who now think it's a big deal, right? We're seeing more intention to vote than we've seen in the past couple of decades. So I do think that the pandemic has changed things by essentially supercharging people's interest in the election, supercharging how important people see this election to be. At what point in the pandemic did you start to see polling shift in Biden's favor? Well, it had been in his favor to an extent really relatively early on, but it was really this summer and particularly when the social justice protests erupted in early June that we really saw a very decisive and decided shift. And it really hasn't moved a whole lot since then. Biden had a huge lead then. It sort of shrunk down to eight or nine points. It sort of grew back to about 10 points after Trump got diagnosed with COVID. But our view was before the pandemic, that lead was kind of soft. It wasn't necessarily as solid as it has become now. And I think that's why we've seen so much stability in the numbers. You said that the polling did not shift until the social justice movements began. Do you think that the social justice movements versus the pandemic are more of a shift towards Biden? Well, what we've seen is actually whenever Trump has had to deal with things that are very overtly race related, that's when his approval ratings take a hit. He actually got a little stronger at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, and it had started to come down. But I do think that the social justice protests really sort of crystallized things about Trump that people dislike the most. It's the idea that he's a bully and that he is not someone who actually looks out for the good of all Americans. I think that actually really crystallized it. But I think it was a trend that was begun by the pandemic. We're talking about what's different this year, and I would say those of 2020 are the two biggest movements of change that have happened in this country and in this world. I wonder how you see those affecting people's choices for president. You know, they both sort of blew up at the same time, and so we think about them as parallel events and separate events, and we compare them. But I think the power of them was in the unity of the two events, in the similarities and the connective tissue between the two events. The pandemic 
it is something all Americans are experiencing, and to that extent, it's unifying. But that really hides all the different fault lines of the pandemic. Poor people are affected differently than wealthy people. People of color are affected differently than white people. The unfairness of the pandemic and the unfairness of racial disparities in policing and just in civic life that I think underscored the fact that there is a national crisis. We'll be back in 15 seconds with two key groups that make up the 2020 electorate. Welcome back to Axios Today. Chris, I wanted to jump back in with you and ask you about suburban women. How much of a role are they going to play in this election? Yeah, I think the real story of this election is how the Republican Party, and particularly Donald Trump, has a hard time to anything approaching a majority when they're running essentially on a platform that alienates women. American women, by and large, do not like what Trump is selling. But the thing to remember is that women actually vote at higher rate than men do. Women make up the majority of the country already, and then they vote at higher rates. So when you combine those two things together, it gets real hard to get to a majority if you're alienating huge swaths of women. Mark, at Pew Research Center, you research demographic changes. When it comes to what our 2020 electorate looks like, how different is it from 2016? So it's become more diverse in just those four years. You'll see, for example, that this is the first presidential election where Latinos will be a larger potential electorate than the Black American vote. This year, about 32 million Latinos are at least an adult U.S. citizen and eligible to vote. There are about 31 million or so Black Americans who are also eligible to vote. I'm wondering for all three of you what you make of the reports about the shift in Latino support for President Trump. On the one hand, you have the Latino population growing and growing fast, and that includes a lot of younger voters. But also when you're three, four or five generations out, maybe you don't care about immigration as much. Maybe your Catholic roots or your views on abortion or lowercase c conservatism or uppercase c conservatism are more poignant. So there are a lot of cross currents going on. We also see evangelical Christians Hispanics as well in support of Donald Trump. And it looks like Donald Trump has at the very least been able to maintain a similar level of support this year that seems to be coming from Cuban Americans in Florida. But Cuban Americans, while significant and important in Florida, nationally are not enough to explain that change in that story. Can I ask you, do you have a sense yet of how the pandemic will shift some of the demographic parts of this electorate or just of this vote so far? Well, that's a really interesting question. We are looking to see how many Americans have moved and where have they moved to as a result of being able to work from home, work remotely for some, but also what does this mean for the distribution of people nationally? How many may have moved and are voting in a different place than where they may have voted at before? We need more information about that before we can draw conclusions. Margaret, what are the unknowns for next week that we haven't talked about yet? I think the main unknowns at this point are who is actually going to turn out in person. How huge will the lines be? Will they stay open long enough to let everyone in? What will happen with how ballots are processed that were mailed in? Will the overwhelming majority of them be counted in time or not? How soon will the lawsuits begin? Will we know, will there be a big win on election night that tips the fate of this race so that we essentially know when we go to sleep that night? Or will it all be a big mystery? What should we expect then? <laughs> oh, I don't have that crystal ball. I say expect the unexpected, but don't panic. What Chris Ray at the FBI and official after official tells us is have faith in the process. Fundamentally, the American elections process should work on election night. 
Thanks, you guys. Thank you so much for all of this. It's given us a lot to think about the weekend before the election. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Great to be with you. That does it for us this week. Next week, join us for special coverage beginning Tuesday evening. We're going to be doing short episodes to help you make sense of what's going on. Join me and Dan Primack from Axios Recap for that starting Tuesday night. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. We're produced by Carol Wu, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, Kara Schillen, and Naomi Shaven. Alex Sugiara is our mix engineer. Our executive producer is Dan Bobkoff. Sarah Kehlani Gu is our executive editor. And special thanks to Axios co-founder Mike Allen. At Pushkin, our executive producers are Leetal Malad and Jacob Weisberg. You can write to us at podcasts at axios.com and find me on Twitter. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have a great weekend.